Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, it was a sophisticated telefraud operation that tricked people into turning over thousands of dollars to avoid arrest. What can the FBI do to stop a con that spans two continents? We'll review Chameleon, Scam Likely. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband, love of my life, and champion fundraiser for the Walk a Mile in Her Shoes fundraiser, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Thank you, everybody, for donating to Walk a Mile in Their Shoes. Yes. I can tell you not only did we, uh, as a group, raise more than $100,000 yes, for, for the whole fundraiser for the Crisis Center of Central New Hampshire, but also I was the number one individual fundraiser for the entire event. That's right. So that means we did it. On Thursday, I'm going to give that special shout out to everybody who donated. And uh, there's a lot of folks. They put us right over the top. So thanks for that. You actually are responsible for a giant chunk of that $100,000. Giant chunk of it. Giant chunk, yes. You, You got a plaque. With a shoe glued to it that looked like it was made at the last minute to give out to the winner. <laughs> yeah, I can still smell the uh, the uh, the spray paint. It's like a plaque piece of wood. Yeah, with a sticker on it that still has bubbles in it and like a Nine West shoe from like TJ Maxx glued to it. Yeah, you know I'm going to say that that shoe was used. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the soles, like what is this? What I like about this charity though is they're not spending money on plaques; they're giving the money to where yeah. it's supposed to go, which Money's is the going actual where it's supposed to go. charity. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. congratulations, Kevin. It's very exciting. Thank you to all of our fans. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the brand new sequel in the Piper Green universe, The Final Curtain. Hello, Laura Bricker. Hello, Rebecca Lavoy, and I have an exciting announcement. What's that? The Final Curtain, as of the launch day, is now officially the best-selling book of the year at Water Street Bookstore. Suck it, Stephen King. That's, <laughs> that's two of us in first place. I love it. Stephen wow. King is number three, man. Yeah. Sorry. And there's three Joe Hill books on that list, and you still, yep. you beat them all. It's, no, them. it's October of 2022, yeah. and you're the best-selling book of the year? Mm-hmm. The year, the year or the week? Well, I was the best-selling book of the month, and now the year, according to Alden, our handsome bookseller, who mm. tallies up the numbers at the bookstore. He said I could describe it as an instant bestseller. Wow. Yeah. 
incredible. And it's not just because he's handsome that you're saying this. It's because it's true. It's because it's true because he pulled up the numbers. Wow. Suck it, mm-hmm. Stephen King, indeed. <laughs> Congratulations. That's so exciting. I'm so happy for you. I mean, I, I was worried about you, honestly, because of when the book was coming out. I was like, I feel like you, last year your book came out like in the warmer months, right? Mm-hmm. It, well, it came out a month before. It came out September 1 last year. Yes, yeah, so you had a little more time to get mm-hmm. like the best selling thing of the year. But you're like, it's really getting out of the line for the end of the year. And, I like, know. Incredible. It's really yeah. incredible. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcasts, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. I'm not number one in anything. Oh, number one in our hearts. Oh, Toby. That's true. <laughs> well, all right. I'll You're take number that. one in pickleball. You know, when people have to want to join our Facebook group. And they they get asked an entry question like, who's your favorite podcaster? Yeah. You're not number one there either, but. Yeah. You're pretty common. You're pretty close. Yeah. Kevin, yeah. you've been getting a lot lately. I'm, I'm in I'm the top four. Up, yeah. You're in the top four. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 not the trifecta. What is it when you get all four? The super. The super. Yeah. I don't know. The problem is I, I get a lot, but it's also because people want to join just to shit on me sometimes. So like people are joining like Rebecca and then they, they just want to come in to be like, I hate Rebecca. So like really? we have to fill, yes. <laughs> so sometimes we have to filter uh. out those people. Someone with a Facebook page is like a week old and says Rebecca, like that person Who's is joining no. Facebook now. <laughs> I mean, what it does, like, well, I don't know, I've been holding out. That person's a no for the writers on Facebook group. All right, so Kevin, here we are. It is Monday's program. What is coming up on Thursday's episode of Crime Writers on? On Thursday, we're going to be talking about the podcast Death of an Artist from Pushkin Industries and something else. That sounds fancy. Well, you know, we've been doing artists, we've been doing authors, We've been doing scam artists. That, if you're a scam artist, you're an artist, right? It's high brow. Yep. No. All right. I mean, pretty soon we're going to be on the top 50 most powerful people in podcasting. I keep don't see that high happening. High brow podcast. All right. Well, I think we should just get to this podcast topic. What do you think, Kevin? Yep, do it. I'm going to go ahead and drop that first clip right now. On my phone, the caller ID showed me 911. And I pick it up. And the guys are like, okay, can you go out of your office and find some some place where no one else is hearing you? Immigrants and payday borrowers were receiving calls from the U.S. government. Either pay the money they owe or be arrested. But it was all an international scam, tricking people into turning over thousands of dollars to con men traveling the country. They had realized something that made them millions of dollars, which was... Not everybody in America is an immigrant, but everybody pays taxes. But with the calls originating from India, authorities have little hope of finding the players and shutting the operation down. That's when a pair of FBI agents take up the case, working their way up from the runners, collecting gift cards from victims to the kingpins directing the scam from a call center in Ahmedabad. They were going to need dozens of police officers to make the arrests, to seize the evidence, to make sure that no one got away. In season four of Chameleon from Campside Media, Scam Likely host Udigit Bhattacharji talks to victims, investigators, and some of the phone operators behind an elaborate fraud on unsuspecting people. The team even travels to India in search of the masterminds behind the deception. 
Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Scam Likely. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Now, Kevin, uh, you really like Udigit's voice, right? I do. I do. It's funny. He's got really a great announcer voice. When I was listening to it, the beginning of the podcast, I'm like, why are they having the announcer do the whole podcast? I didn't realize that he was the journalist. He's got a great voice. Now, we don't talk about people when they think they've got bad voices, but I tell you, you got to give a shout out to someone's got really great pipes and uh, how you did, it does. Dave had a hunch that the call he had investigated was probably the tip of an iceberg. He just had no way to get under the water. At least, not yet. So, Laura, one of the things that really occurred to me when I was listening to this, especially at the beginning, the opening story of this podcast, the story of an immigrant who is being scammed by somebody who is taking advantage of his immigration status and also simultaneously taking advantage of his wife's immigration status. And it occurred to me that these kinds of scams really prey on fear, right? And like later in the podcast, we hear about the tax, uh, the IRS fraud, which I think we've all gotten phone calls about, right? Like in our inbox. But imagine the situation where you've come here, you're working. And as we hear, like you're coming from a situation where it's extreme poverty and you're like, this is my chance. This is my chance to build generational wealth for my family. And the whole thing lies here. And you get this call and there's just enough proof to make you think that it's real. Like, that is fucking awful. I really thought the first episode of this podcast was done very well because, you know, I think about a fraud where it's like someone telling you to go to CVS and telling you to go to Walmart and it's like, how could someone fall for that? But in that moment, listening to that, I'm like, I could imagine how that could be true for me. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing is, I mean, we've all gotten these calls. Like, the ones I've gotten have been a little less convincing. It was like, there would be like some sort of grammatical error or something that would tip you off. But it was the same thing. Like we are calling the authorities right away. And I'll mm. be like, yeah, okay, good luck. But in this case, they had just enough information about the people to make, even though you're like, this seems fucking sketchy. They have just enough information that they're like, well, how would they have this information? And I was kind of reminded of that time. I can't remember what it was, that thing we watched on Netflix about all of your information that's all over the internet and how, there's a lot of information out there in the world and these scammers are able to sort of compile that on you in such a way that, you know, you think, oh, I would never fall victim to this. And then you listen to this and you're like, but I can see how this person fell victim to this because they are somebody, again, like you said, Rebecca, somebody who's like, I'm here. I want to make a life for myself. Oh my God. I don't want to have the IRS. I don't want to have the police coming. But then the problem is, once you take the bait and start, then like it just gets crazier and crazier. And that's why you, you, you're you like, oh, how are they still doing this? But it's because the fear factor there is just the influence and the way that they are trained to continue to question you and, to, and pressure you. It's sad because you're targeting people that are vulnerable and people that are scared and people that legitimately want to do the right thing. Mm. And yet then they're losing whatever they have built up for their own nest egg 
it was it was really something. It was like the root talk gone mad mm. going to all those stores getting gift cards. You can see how hard that lifestyle was on their bodies. I mean, you're driving around the country in the back of a Honda, just living behind a windshield. Um, it was like the opposite of when you see somebody go to like the International Space Station, right? And they wither. Yeah, yeah. It was like the, the opposite, opposite of just sitting in a car. But I mean, they, just, just just eating gas station food. Gas for station a year. food and. One of the things that was interesting, Toby, was that like the scam, especially in the first episode we hear is this combination of like digital and analog, right? So there's these phone calls that are happening from these call centers in India where they have all this digital information. But then there are also people on the ground, these runners sitting in cars, literally with piles of cash cards next to them on the front seat waiting with burner phones to like transfer cash and then go into Western Union stores. And like, it's it's very like old school in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, it, it felt to me like very 1990s kind of. And it's a lot of the same stuff, like my aborted novel that I wrote in like the late 90s, which was about identity theft. It was like a lot of the same stuff and about how you, how you turn gift cards into money and, and things like that. So- yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like you kind of think about these things these days as really involving the internet and, and and getting people's financial information that way. And in this case, like the latest cutting edge technology just isn't used at all. It's yeah, it's a throwback for like 20, 25 years, but no less effective. Yeah. Well, it works because the people aren't stupid, right, Kevin? But because they're Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Laura was saying like at a certain point like we're being scammed like the light ought to come on that if you have a, a fine that you have to pay that it shouldn't be in this cascading laundering of different gift cards but i think that you know if you're somebody who is um perhaps in a vulnerable situation maybe you are concerned about your uh your residency and immigration status perhaps you're somebody that's often behind in your payments and you know, the idea that perhaps that you've really gotten yourself behind this time, it's there's an urgency to it. It works not because the people are stupid, but just because the scammers are good. And even though, you know, when we're listening through our ear holes about, you know, the way the scam went down, I'm like, ah, oh, of course, that's eh, so easy. I know Laura said it. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten a call. Uh, you have, a scam right? call. Yeah, that was pretty convincing. I mean, I was like a little scrupulous because they said... Describe that. Describe that experience. Well, it was a woman who said that there was a bench warrant or something against me because I had failed to appear for some debt thing. You know, it was I was a little confused because I didn't know why it would be me. And but there was a little bit of believability because I'd been divorced. And could there be some debt that I was now responsible for that I was unaware of? And so I was just trying to spend my whole call just confirming with them that they got the right person as opposed to sort of being dragged along. And it it ended for me when I just said, OK, he says, you have my information. This is are the last four digits of my social security number. One, two, three, four. And they said, yes. And so I hung up. I knew it was a scam then. But I can also see where people would be, you know, that they would really get sucked into that. We, we have to know there's no debtor's prison in the United States. It's not like in uh, Dickensian England where you're going to be sent to the quote unquote poorhouse because you can't pay. But there are a lot of people that don't know that. And so the threat of the cops coming, you know, that's a big motivator to go out and try to fix it the way that someone is telling you to fix it. 
But there are so many things that you get in the mail that are real, that are demanding money. Yeah. Like, think about all the times you've been to the doctor and you've actually paid when you're there, but then you get a bill later for more money. That's like because of an insurance thing and some like third party payment. And then you're like, what the fuck? I owe this money, this extra $60. It happens all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes as happened to us recently, we had this very strange situation where like we got a check for a thousand dollars in the mail, like from our insurance company. And I just deposited it thinking like, oh, it must have been some like overpayment thing when we switched insurance companies or when we sold our old house Mm. or something. And then our insurance broker called me like two weeks ago and was like, oh, by the way, so your insurer told us that they issued you a check a month ago that that was by mistake. And like, you need to pay it back. (laughs) And I was like, "What? okay. But like, it is the weird world of just like debt Mm -hmm. and checks doesn't it just feel like that shit is floating in the ether all the time? Like, how many times have you guys gotten a medical bill or a bill from your insurance company for a doctor's visit you did a long time ago and you're like, I guess I owe $30? I don't know. Yeah. It's yep. very, very hard to track down. And I think there is, you know, I, there's not like full on debtor's prison, but there's certainly a lot of people who are in jail because they can't pay $50 traffic tickets, yep. you know? And again, I don't, I'm not sure if these, the people that they're targeting probably are not super familiar with, you know, the ins and outs of the American judicial system. Um, mm-hmm. But we've listened to plenty of other podcasts that are, people are like buying for a long time, much more outlandish stuff than this. Like for instance, thinking that this guy's an MI5 agent and you have to be hidden from the IRA for like eight years or whatever it was. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, th- I think people, when you're not prey to it, I feel like you think you're going to be too savvy for it. But I think, Basically, it's just been shown mm. that if the people have the right approach, like just about anybody can be got. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Chapter one, Wayfair welcomes you to the neighborhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the neighborhood," she said, where Wafer helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love chapter two. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. All right, so Kevin, here we are in the business section. Is that what we're doing now? What do we got going on our Patreon, Kevin? Right now on our Patreon, we have the Crime Writers on After Show, where Beck and I are going to dish all about our time in Columbus, Ohio at Obsessed Fest. Talk about the new podcast friends we made. So many things happened behind the scenes, including... Me tricking the Missing War Murray guys into buying me breakfast. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. 
We also have coming up on Patreon, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby is talking about Tall Man. That's the book. Who are your guests? It's uh, Elon Green, Yay. who is not buying Twitter. It's it's another Elon. Uh. <laughs> and uh, Maggie Rar from Carrie Lowe Versus. And Rebecca Lavoie. Mm. If Rebecca Lavoie finishes the book, which Rebecca Lavoie will. Will. You're going to get a question about the last 10 pages that I'm going to expect you to answer before we continue. Oh, oh my God. A question about page like 185. It's not a it's super not, long book, by the way. No. No. I know. No. Every time I of, sit down, I read like 50 pages. So I only have to sit down like twice more and it'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. Good job, Wait, you're on page 80? No, I'm on page 110-ish. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be fine. <laughs> I, I'm not worried about you. Uh, speaking of somebody who can complete something. Yes. Laura Bricker is going to be celebrating on Wednesday Yay! her special Woo! book launch. It's at the Word Barn in Exeter, New I'll be Hampshire. There. Laura, folks, want to make the trip last minute? Come up and see you. How do they do that? They can go onto the Word Barn website and reserve a spot. And that's just because we have a certain number of spots inside and also to sort of accommodate them for uh, hosting this for me, which is very generous of them. And there will be some form of delicious dessert pastry scone something. Mm. If you make the trip, I'm not sure what that's going to be, but it's going to be delicious. And it's going to be super fun. And there's beer and wine for sale. And there's beer and wine. And sometimes Toby Ball gets accosted by older women who think he's really tall and handsome when he comes to my book signing. So either way, it's guaranteed to be a fun time. Are you going to do that thing again where you like sit in front and do a little like talk situation? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to do a little talk. I'm going to talk because the word barn, actually something I went to there inspired the murder scene in this book. Mm. And was it the scones? It wasn't the scones. It was a bird talk I went to. And Ben Anderson is such a good sport. He was thinking of like staging a scene for me. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, so it should be really fun. It's a great venue. It's really exciting. The launch has been great. The podcast people, all of you from Crime Writers on Nation that have ordered books, amazing. Um, Alden, our fantastic, young, handsome bookseller, not Dan with the good hair. No, he's hot. Alden is. I'm sorry. He's a snack, that guy. Uh, yeah, so Alden <laughs> spent like three hours. The ladies so, and the eyes they made at Toby's each other. Like, Toby's like, I could never say that about a woman. No, you can't, Toby. Uh, well, so one and of I'm our listeners it. was like, Alden has kind eyes. I was like, yeah, but Alden kind. is a That's a euphemism. It's <laughs> a euphemism for hot is what it is. <laughs> kind eyes. So he spent- Kind of hot is what they he are. Spent, oh my God. Poor Alden spent three hours packing books for the is people that, that pre-ordered. <laughs> no, no, but I gave him a coffee card. Packing was it one of those books? things where like after like an hour and a half, he was like, ah, oh, it's like, it's getting hot in here. And he like had to peel off his shirt. <laughs> to, like, oh. If wow. only. Guess if only. I mean, geez, my office is next door. I would have been right over. All right. I don't know what kind of business we're doing right now. Damn. But I think, I think this is where we should end it and get back to our review. I, I All right. Agree. So, so yes. Kevin, does that send the business section? Yeah, more scam and less jamming. Okay. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and say, sign up for our Patreon. That's all you got to do. I'm going to yeah. send the business Patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm going to go ahead and make the music out. Turn right it off. Now. Laura, one of the things I like about this podcast is that we do go to India and we get the point of view of these two young men in India. I think there's a case to be made too. And I don't want to call necessarily, maybe I do in some ways, that it's very easy to get pulled in on the other side of the scam as an employee mm-hmm. of one of these call centers, right? Mm-hmm where you are now in a situation where you are scamming people 
and you're in a tremendous amount of pressure to do it or else, you know, in terms of the employability situation, like this is how you're going to make money. And I thought it was really interesting when they said they went for this job interview and they asked, like, is this a scam? And the person said, it is. Who wants to leave? (laughs) This sounds ridiculous to Pawan. Why would the U.S. government be outsourcing its tax collection to an Indian call center? He decides to speak up. I told them, it's a scam. So he said, the other teacher said, yeah, it's a scam. If you want to work, then work. Or you can leave. But the pay was so compelling that, like, if, if it's a difference between, like, having an okay life and not having an okay life, you know what I mean? Like, it really is, it's not hard to imagine in an economy where you have very few choices being mm-hmm. like, this is the deal. I don't know. What did you think of that side of the story? I thought that, first of all, I thought it was so interesting how we went to India and he's like, and there's these two guys and they're young guys and we're just going to send, I, like, I didn't realize in the beginning they were actually going to send them in to get the job. So I, I really loved hearing this sort of play by play of how this unfolded. But also, I mean, the other thing is, you know, putting it in the context of the bigger picture where, you know, in India, they said for every call center running a scam, There are hundreds of legitimate centers. So this is like a big part of the economy. This is the type of job that a lot of people are able to get. And I loved for the legitimate ones. They're like, they had office parties. They got vacation, sick leave. So on some regards, as you're going in, you're like, well, hey, all my friends work in call centers and this one pays better. And sure, it's a scam, but whatever. Like it's people. So you can see how, because that's already part of the sort of economic makeup of what's out there in the workforce, how it's like, well, if this one pays a little better, eh. But, you know, at the same time, it's set up for me, like, how impossible it is to break up any of these places. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Because if there's all those legitimate ones, like, how are you going to know who's illegitimate? How are you going to know who's scamming people? Who's going to have the wherewithal, the determination, the time, the persistence to actually follow up on the fake places? You know what I mean? And one of the things about uh, Paywan and Jayich that I thought was interesting. Yeah, you already mentioned, Laura, about how sort of the pay dollar for dollar, 15 bucks doesn't seem like an awful lot of money to us. But in that economy, with the kinds of economic options they have, yeah, that is a lot of money. So you can see why. They would feel a little ambivalence about doing it, but they seem to, you know, um, convince themselves that was it was okay because all Americans are rich. And again, yeah. dollar for dollar, you know, the average American may have more money than uh, the average Indian, but it wasn't until they got a phone call from somebody who was, you know, really hurting and had to borrow money, you know, that they understood that no, we're hurting people here, and that's when they decided to uh, work with American authorities to shut them down. Toby, you sent me a really interesting note about sort of like the post-colonial aspect of this entire economic scheme. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. They don't really talk about this in the podcast, but we outsource these like call center jobs because it's so much cheaper to get Indian workers to do it. And for all these things that, that Kevin and Laura were talking about where there's limited options and the, you know, the pay is a lot lower and, and, and things like that. The, the fact that that happens kind of allows, you know, scammers in India to then call people in the U.S. And we're so conditioned, we're so used to getting calls from Indian call centers that it seems very legitimate. So it, they're kind of like, it's not really weaponizing, but they're kind of using the fact that we seek cheap labor 
they leverage that fact to then sort of try these scams on people in the U.S. And it just doesn't seem, you know, you get a call from an Indian call center like once a week or something. Mm -hmm. So it, it does seem it's nothing that you even think about. At least it's not something I think about. So it, it does, it sets up this, this situation where you can run those scams in a way that you wouldn't think you would if there, if there wasn't like this kind of economic thing with, with, you know, outsourcing call centers. Now, Kevin, we do have some good FBI agent personalities in this podcast. Yes. We only know their first names. It reminded me a little <laughs> bit of the dudes from McMillions. Like, yeah. yeah, like they, they really were invested in the case. They cared a lot about it. They're working in like a different, different offices, different places. But like you do get the sort of sense that they're like they give it. They care a lot. You say they give a shit because yes. that was the name they gave themselves. The guys that gave a the shit. The guys that gave a shit. What do you think about these characters in the podcast? Well, like, I mean, one of the things that I understood was that it's a complicated case to solve. Right. To get any sort of resolution, especially if uh, you think the bad actors are overseas. And so you could see why a lot of agents and a lot of prosecutors would be like, meh, and not want to pursue this because there might be some other things that, that they feel that are either more attainable or have a greater impact. And I think they weren't even right. The two guys weren't even in the same city. Right. They, they met each other at some training. That was great. You know, part of what I thought we were missing from La Monstra last week is that we didn't really have a character that could bring us through the spine of the narrative to take us from one point to the other because the investigate in that case the investigation was almost non-existent. So with these guys, we do get sort of a sense of okay, we're going to start low, we're going to figure out what the scam is, we're going to go to the low-hanging fruit with these runners and we're going to make our way up to the call center in India. And so they brought a really good perspective just by looking back and recalling what they did on the case. Laura, I really liked when one of the guys in India was trying to contact law enforcement in the United States, you know, tried calling the FBI, didn't work out like this call got ignored. So we called was the FTC and he ended up calling a prosecutor and she takes the call and is like, oh, I'm just taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And then she realizes it's really real when his supervisor comes by and he has to like code switch and uh-huh. turn into somebody who is actually like doing the script with her and is like, oh, there's a CVS down the street from you in Arlington, Virginia. And she's just like, shit, like he actually knows physically where I am. He knows that like I could go get a cash card right there. And she realized like this is a real whistleblower. I mean, what did you think of the fact that they have access to so much like physical location data of where all of their marks are, even when they're calling, trying to call a whistleblower tip to somebody like in a law enforcement agency? I mean, I guess it just sort of, again, I go back to like, there is so much information out there on the internet. And even if you think you have like protected your personal information, I mean, I remember when I was like working as um, I worked in fundraising and I used to research people that were donors and I could find so much information. And, and I think people would be horrified if they knew the amount of information that somebody that is skilled at internet research can find about you. It, it was interesting you know, that there are people that actually wanted to be whistleblowers in that case. That was surprising because, again, we'd heard that even though this is a scam, it's a pretty good job and it's a better job than some of the other call centers. But, you know, I think it just goes like I say a lot all the time. I'm like, you know what? There's so much of my information out there. It's just it's terrifying. Um, But to some degree, it's like at this point, the horse is out of the barn for all of us. And you just have to, when somebody calls, like, 
you know, call me on my landline or send me something in the mail or, you know, because it is, I don't want to say easy, but if you are determined and savvy and skilled at internet research, you can certainly present information in such a way that it does sound credible. Yeah. So Debbie, I have to ask you a question. I don't know if you feel the way that I do. I feel like this podcast suffers from something that we've talked about a lot lately, which is the, I call it the, this podcast has to be a certain amount of episodes to make a company happy syndrome, where I felt like the meat of the story was super interesting, but it felt very stretched to me. Did you have that same feeling when you're listening to this podcast? Yeah, you know, I didn't feel like sometimes I listen to a podcast and it's like, okay, this part's padding, this part's padding, this part's padding. And I didn't feel so much that way for this one, other than I just, it seemed like it spent more time on the story than it needed to. They could have sort of tightened things up. If it had been me, I would have probably suggested they do like six episodes, like cut it down by like that amount. Because I I do think would probably been a better length and sort of tightened it up a little bit. But again, you know, the, the, the story's interesting. Just feels like they spend a little bit more time on it than I think is ideal. I do feel like, Kevin, like these bigger production companies like who are taking these pitches from places like Campside, Pineapple, they are seeing these in the future almost like the future Netflix show that it's going to be or the future Apple TV show. So they're like, it has to be the same number of episodes that like a television series would be. But as an audio series, sometimes it just can't carry that much. And well, you know it what can I mean? carry that ad load, which is, I think, what is driving that. That being said, you could also put more ads in a show. I mean, sometimes I listen to some shows and there's more ad breaks in it, and that's fine. It's okay for a 45 minute show to have more actual breaks. Yeah. Without as many, with more ads in them than, but I'd rather right. have fewer episodes with more breaks. I guess so. Than I, more got- episodes where the story feels stretched. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't think like you can start workshopping your journalism around how many ad breaks are going to be in like, does that Don't mean- worry about that though, but I think it's harder than to just sort of say something that should be six now has to be eight and then you have to pull it like Yeah, I mean, it. I thought like the episode lengths were fine. There were about 40 minutes. So that's, you know, a good time. And I thought it was organized very logically. Again, working from the bottom all the way up. Yeah. The only one I felt like was a little padded was the very last one where they go I would say back to India, where they make two trips to India, where they're maybe it was that all the same one trip, but where they're trying to find the kingpin. Mm. And shaggy? I, sh- yeah, was it Shaggy? I was like, is it Shaggy they were going after this time? Or was it somebody else? Or in any event, nothing really happened that came of that. So it felt like almost a little anticlimactic, and you don't really want that in like your final scene. Yeah. That was the only thing where I thought, okay, this is where it's kind of losing the beat. Is it possible to talk to Tilak? Where is he? He's not here, sir. Where, where does he live now? He's in uh, Delhi now. He's in Delhi? Yeah. Okay. I mean, could we talk to him on the phone maybe? No? No. <laughs> because he just no, yesterday he's gone. He just left yeah, yesterday? Yeah, because he had like, some calm work here. Yeah. And he went to Delhi again. It is tough too when like one of your sources that you're trying to talk to calls you back, but you don't have the tape and you just have to describe uh, yeah. with a call. Oh, he called me back, but I was really early in the morning, so I don't have the tape. But here's what he said. Like, I was like, damn it. God damn it. I would yeah. have loved to have heard that call. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and 
producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Mientras crecíamos, vimos a nuestros papás siempre ordenando la casa. Now that we have our own, entendemos la importancia de mantener una casa limpia y ordenada. One that makes you proud. Por eso puedes contar con IKEA. IKEA knows that having a place for everything makes it much easier to maintain a happy home and your peace of mind. When you shop at IKEA, cada dólar rinde más. Visit your nearest IKEA store to find the best storage solutions para tu hogar. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out season four of Chameleon? It's called Scam Likely. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out this podcast? Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down? So I'm going to go thumbs up with the caveat that this could have been half the episodes and been a great podcast. But what I liked about it is it was very satisfying for me to listen to this because we have all been called by these scammers on the phone. Like I have kept recordings from some of these scammers I've gotten the phone. Wait, what? And so it was, I have. Of course she has. Oh, I mean, Patreon I, extra. Oh my God. And so it was very satisfying for me to hear somebody actually like going to India and finding out where this happens and who's doing this and why they're doing this. But it was definitely something where I got that gist in like the first three episodes and it was really interesting. And I just, I thought there was a lot of good stuff there, but I just felt like it went on a bit too long. But overall, I mean, we can all relate to this. You think you would never fall victim to this, but sometimes when you hear the way that this actually plays out, you're like, mm, maybe I could have gotten sucked in. So I, I just thought it was really interesting. Toby Ball. This is, it's super competent. And I, I don't mean that as like faint praise or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's really, they've got good interviews. It's easy to follow. As Kevin said in the, in the full review that it, that it's logically set up. I agree with Laura that I think it's it's a little bit long, but you know it's a thumbs up. Um, I think the other thing about it is it kind of falls into this like sort of pure journalistic content. Like you don't get a whole lot of sense of the personality. I think of the host or whatever. I mean, he he kind of talks about his interest in it and and all this stuff, but you're not really following. I I didn't feel like I was following his journey necessarily. I was more sort of following his reporting. So anyway, yeah, it's a thumbs up. It's not a huge thumbs up. Again, I agree with Laura. I think if it had been a little more concise, you know, five or six episodes, I think it, it, it I might be an enthusiastic thumbs up because the story's interesting. The journalism's really good. But again, it's just, it's a little drawn out. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. It's a pretty conventional podcast. It's very well put together. I do like the host. I think you did your brings in his cultural point of view, which I think is very important in this story where we're spanning really two different cultures here. And he was able to bring, you know, certainly his knowledge of India having lived there. It was good when they traveled back to India so that 
he could really sort of navigate that territory better than probably some other journalists would have. I kind of like what Toby's saying here about how maybe the personality of the host doesn't really pop through. We do hear him in certain interviews and whatnot. And that might have been the thing. If that like clicked, that might have really elevated the podcast. Nevertheless, it's a great story because it really does dig into a common crime, a bloodless crime that we are either have been almost taken or at least, you know, now when your cell phone like all of a sudden goes silent, you know, they they goes right to voicemail or whatever that, you know, they're, they're starting to crack down on the technology here to to keep that in. We could be victims multiple times a day. And so this was an illuminating look at this kind of crime. Yeah, so I'm giving it a thumbs up, too. But there is a flaw here that I think you guys have pointed to that this is the thing that I that I keep thinking when I was listening to this. This is season four of Chameleon, right? Season three was Wild Boys, hosted by Sam Mullins, right? And Wild Boys told a story that was so compelling and so dynamic. And at the beginning of Wild Boys, Sam Mullins told us, like, I'm telling you the story, me, because of this reason. Udigit told us at the very end of the very last episode why he was telling us this story. At the very end, literally the last paragraph of dialogue of him talking to us is about why he thinks it's important to, for him to tell the story and why he wanted to do it. And all I could think about was, why didn't you tell us this at the very beginning of the podcast? Because I felt myself thinking the whole time, I'm like, this is just very clinical. It's very good. It was competent. There were times I felt very like moved by some of the victim stories, but the it was stretched because I knew, I mean, I feel like every time I listen to one of these shows, I'm like, man, I just feel so bad for the producers of this. I feel like someone told them it had to be eight. They can feel the times where they had to like pull it like taffy. It was fine. It was really good. The tape was good. The reporting is good. But the one flaw here was that Udigit did not insert himself into it in the ways that in this same series we've heard other hosts do. And that is missing. And then at the very end, he does. And I'm like, that's what was missing from the whole thing. I would have loved to have heard that at the beginning. And I would have loved to have felt that more through the series. And then I think I would have been a little bit more invested. I would have forgiven what the, some of the clinicalness of it a little bit more. That being said, it is competent. It's good. It's interesting. And so, it, yeah, it deserves a thumbs up for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of, crime of the, week. the week. A New Jersey family said someone had been desecrating their mother's final resting place. Every morning for the past several months, her ex-husband has come to the cemetery to piss on her grave. Linda Torello had been briefly married to Dean Eichler and divorced him more than 50 years ago. She passed away in 2017 and her kids kept finding bags of feces at her headstone they thought were left by a dog walker. After getting permission to set up some cameras, they captured the vandal on video. Every day around 6.15 a.m., Eichler and his current wife would drive to the cemetery so he could urinate on her grave. Torello's son says Eichler split when he denied being the father to their oldest child. Eichler's family sided with Linda and the kids and became estranged from Eichler and his new wife. He says his mom's ex has held a grudge against her for five decades. 
At first, police said there was little they could do, but after the story hit the news, they fined Eichler for public urination. Detectives are looking at other possible charges. Here's to hoping she can finally rest in peace. I mean, rest in peace, of course. So that panel, was bad. Instant karma is going to get you. How can the dearly departed get their revenge on this graveyard vandal? Lara Bricker, what do you think? I think that there might be some poison ivy, poison sumac, poison oak planted around that grave that might just sort of waft up during that public urination process. What do you think, Toby Ball? How can the uh, dearly departed get their revenge on this guy who is peeing on the grave? Well, I think, you know, her spirit should inhabit the family dog and then shit in his mouth while he's sleeping. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's what I was going for. The chihuahua with the the runny diarrhea. Yes. What do you think, Kevin? I just said it. Toby stole mine. I thought it was going to be like a carry situation where the hand was going to come up out of the grave at the very end and grab the ankle. Remember that? No, not the ankle. Why? Because he's pissing. Yeah. Oh. You got to reach up a little higher. All right. We should probably end on that up before we do, Laura Bricker. If folks want to reach out to you and say, how can I come to your book launch event? <gasps> and how can I see pictures of it if I can't make it? How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker. And if they can't come to my book launch event, they can always come to Exeter, a very welcoming community. And Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you and say congratulations on stealing Kevin's very obscure answer for the crime of the week. <laughs> How can they find you on Twitter? Yeah, it's unusual. Yeah, they can find me at Toby Ball on H. Kevin, isn't, isn't Toby look like very satisfied and happy it right does, now? Does. It does. I know. Like well, he's, I just, he's number one I, at Well, something. I always come up with some lame answer. Then Kevin has said something funny. So the fact that we came up with the same thing it's like a small victory it is it also shows that we never prepare for this podcast <laughs> yeah like you don't confer in advance toby's finally number one at something kevin, yes. always, toby's always number one at things he's the tallest he's the handsomest come on kevin you know it's true mm. i'm super super tall kevin flynn if folks want to reach out to you and say i'm sorry that you lost to toby this week how can they find you on twitter i'm at kevin p flynn Kevin P. Flynn. P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also find me on Be Real, the world's weirdest social media platform at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook group. Join us there. It's really freaking awesome. Just go to Facebook, search Crime Writers On. You'll find our page. Hit join the group. We'll let you in if you're not a troll. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get all of the podcasts we have back there. You heard about them earlier on the show. I'm not going to tell them to you now. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, The Closet, in our New Hampshire basement where Kevin is right now taking your gift cards and converting them to cash. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you later. Later. Okay. Hold on. I'm trying to think of how, how do we start the show? I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Wait, Radio. wait. I haven't done it in a while. Okay, I'm ready. Mush- mushrooms are kicking in. <laughs> Actual <laughs> fuck. How about you just read what's there? I'm ready. All right. Kevin gave the mushrooms mushroom soup. And go.
Crime Media. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.